0: Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne,
1: in Melbourne, Florida. He didn't say you could do good, you could take communion, and then if you take communion and if you live a good life and do things, you could be free from the captivity of sin and the bondage. But Jesus came to this earth because God said this, There was only one way for man to get back to God. Only one way for him to be set free. And that was for somebody to come and be a perfect, sinless sacrifice. Perfect, sinless sacrifice. We have total
0: freedom to choose our own paths. But that freedom can come with a cost when we follow our own selfish ambition. We become slaves to our flesh, slaves to sin. The good news is that we can be freed from the death and destruction of sin through the ransom paid by Jesus' sacrifice. From emptiness to fulfillment, we trade bondage for freedom in Christ. We're all born into sin, but the pathway out of it is our choice. It was Jesus' choice to walk towards his own death because he knew what would come from it. We know too, so walk towards him. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 45, with part one of our message entitled, Looking Out for Number One.
1: Dear God, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy or even grumpy or, for some of you, nasty or selfish or overindulgent. I've been very good. I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. (laughs) And from then on, I'm going to probably need a lot more of your help. Amen. (laughs) Ever feel like that? Yes. Well, in our passage, the disciples get out of bed. And the problem is they take this fleshly nature with them, the old nature that we'll study about. We're going to look and say, well, how can this greedy, selfish nature being the disciples of Jesus Christ. How can it be exhibited in those who have been walking with Jesus for three years? How can that be? Well, we'll see how it can be. Look at verse 45 in Mark chapter 10. We're going to start at the last verse and work back to verse 32. So we're going to start and go backwards. This is a great verse for you to uh, circle in your Bible if you do write in your Bible because it is the, the summation of the entire book of Mark in one verse. You might write there, there's going to be two keys to that verse. The whole book of Mark is summed up in this one verse. The first part is Jesus the servant. The first ten chapters of the book of Mark have been dealing with primarily the servanthood of Jesus Christ. You see that summarized in verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So the first part of the book of Mark has to do with Jesus, the servant. The last part that we're going to study now as we head to the end of the book of Mark is caught in the second part of verse 45, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is not Jesus, the servant. This is Jesus, the Savior, This is the second part. So as we move toward the end of the book of Mark, we will see more and more of the Savior part of Jesus Christ as he heads to the cross. We've seen glimpses of that, but we'll be focusing on that as we finish the book of Mark. Now we've also seen, certainly we'll continue to see, the servant part of Jesus, but primarily those are the two keys. And this is kind of a place where the book of Mark divides to some degree. Notice in the verse 45, there's a word there called ransom. It's a word you and I are familiar with to some degree. In the Greek, it's called lytron, and it means the price of release or deliverance or liberation. Now, we're familiar with this word ransom because we're familiar with another topic called kidnapping. Kidnapping is usually when somebody is wealthy, they're at risk to have somebody in their home kidnapped and held for ransom. Knowing you and knowing me, nobody would be interested in any of us or our families. We don't have enough money to interest anybody with a ransom. Well, we do know that there are those people who are wealthy. And what happens is, from time to time, they'll kidnap a child or a, a wife or a husband and You'll get a note called the ransom note, and it will say you'll never see your loved one again unless you give this $1 million and $20 bills and we'll meet you at this place at 10 o'clock and meet you at whatever, and they give you the whole scenario of what's taking place. This layout of money is to buy back or redeem the person who got kidnapped. Now notice in that verse 45, it says that Jesus is going to become a ransom. A ransom. Why would Jesus have to become a ransom? And who in the world was held captive that Jesus would have to rescue them or buy them back from their being kidnapped? Well, keep your finger there in the book of Mark and turn back to the book of Romans chapter 6, verse 16 the who are those that are in sin. Sin enslaves or kidnaps people. Romans 6.16 says this, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which will lead to death, or to obedience, which will lead to righteousness. In Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and he says this, One of the goals, Timothy, for you is to do this, teach the word of God so that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive, prisoner, kidnapped, to do his will. Now, where did this all start? Well, you remember, how did slaves, how did people become slaves of sin and captured and kidnapped by sin? Well, you remember in the garden, we're just going to spend a moment on that, Adam and Eve were given a wonderful privilege by God, the privilege of choice, to serve God, or to serve Satan. To obey God, or to obey Satan. They chose to obey themselves, which was in essence obeying Satan. From that, their freedom was gone. From this freedom came the word sin. They had sinned and become captive of Satan and his kingdom. They were kidnapped. They were now in bondage because sin always enslaves. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they were first of all separated from God and then slaves to sin, bound by Satan. Now, what happens from that to get to us today to show us the extent of the scripture that says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When man was born, every person born after Adam and Eve, in that line was the sin from Adam and Eve that was passed to you and me. Let me give you an example. Remember the swimming pool incident up in Georgia where some kids got the E. coli and really got sick and whatever, and they couldn't figure where all this came from. Well, we see it in the newspaper. The ultimate source was hamburger made here in Florida. Somehow that hamburger got to different places, and the source of all the E. coli in that swimming pool, that park, that recreation place, came from one source. It came from the hamburger that was tainted here in Florida. All of that came because of that one source. Well, when Adam and Eve sinned, in the stream of life, the book of Romans tells us, in that stream of life, every person that is born is born into sin. We all have that nature. There isn't anyone that is born without being born into sin. So if we're born into sin, there's two things that happens. One is we're separated from God, and secondly, we're enslaved, we're kidnapped. The problem is most people don't understand if they're sinners, that they're really serving Satan. We'll talk more about that later. Now, once held captive by sin, Jesus comes on the picture. Notice that it says here that Jesus became, or was going to become in our passage, mankind's ransom. So we know who's held captive. It's you, and it's me, and it's all sinners. Well, who's going to free us? Well, the problem comes that when man looked at trying to free himself from the bondage of sin, he came up with a problem. God had already defined what a ransom would be. He didn't say it would be one million bucks. He didn't say you could do good, you could take communion, and then if you take communion and if you live a good life and do things, you could be free from the captivity of sin and the bondage. But Jesus came to this earth because God said this, There was only one way for man to get back to God. Only one way for him to be set free. And that was for somebody to come and be a perfect, sinless sacrifice. Perfect, sinless sacrifice. So Jesus Christ came. Now when Jesus Christ came, up to this point, we're about three years in Jesus' ministry. He's lived almost 33 years. He'd been perfect right up to this point. Never sinned even once. Now the key is, between that and the cross, when he dies, he'd have to maintain that perfection. Did Jesus maintain it? You betcha. There'd be some that will say today that Jesus was a good teacher, but he wasn't sinless. If he wasn't sinless, then our salvation is bogus and useless, and we're left captives in bondage with no hope. 1 John 3.5, and it says this, "...but you know that Jesus appeared so that He might take away our sins, and in Him is no sin." So Jesus came, God loved us so much, Jesus came to this earth, lived this perfect life, and God said, through this perfect sinless sacrifice, this ransom would pay for men and women who were captured, kidnapped by Satan." by their own choice they could be free now keep your finger in mark forget romans and head over toward the end of the bible first peter chapter 1 first peter chapter 1 how much was the price of the ransom in other words if god loved us so much that he sent jesus as jesus would live this sinless perfect life was that all that god required I mean, that's enough in itself. Some of us say, well, you know, if it would have been me, I could have lived my whole life without sinning. Right. You've already blown it. You've lied. None of us could have done it. So, was the price that Jesus was going to pay for the ransom, was it bound up only in his perfection? No. We'll see. There's one other thing required. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For you know, Peter says, that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed or ransomed or bought back or freed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. Something very interesting. Peter says there wasn't enough money to buy back your Salvation. It isn't about silver or gold. See, people think church is about money. Church isn't about money. Church is about God's love. Money could have never done it. Jesus' perfect life didn't do it. And notice what it says here. This is a great verse for you to take a look at. Those who were kidnapped, who were ransomed, who were in sin, what was their life like? Look at that verse 18. What typifies a life of a sinner. You see the word there? It starts with an E. Do you get it? It is what? Empty. An empty way of life. You see, if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, your life is empty. It's unfulfilled. Now, the converse of that, the reverse of that is what? If you have Jesus in your life, what a great life. What a great opportunity to serve. Now, notice, these people are held captive, have an empty way of life that was handed down to them by who? Their fathers. You say, well, what kind of a bum father was that or mom? Well, it was a kind of every father and mom. Because sin comes by us being born into a world through sinly parents. Well, my parents are good. They go to church. Doesn't matter. They were sinners before they came to God's grace. And when you and I are born, we do, listen. we do not get to heaven because we're born into a church family. My kids, my wife's kids, together, our children, didn't become Christians because they were born into a pastor's home. By the way, they were born into a home when I was a hospital pharmacist. I wasn't a pastor. We were believers, but that didn't make them Christians. So this verse says that when you're born, you're born into sin, and your life is empty without God. Some of you here this morning, that's exactly where you're at. That's why you're seeking. You're looking for fulfillment. Now look. It says that his perfect life wasn't enough. Well, what else did Jesus have to give? Look at verse 19. You were redeemed by silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So God required Jesus, number one, to live a perfect life. But secondly, he would have to die on the cross to redeem man, to ransom man. To free mankind from sin, the ransom price was Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And through the blood of Jesus, we have been redeemed from the curse, from the penalty, and from the bondage of sin. So here's what happened. Jesus lives His whole life perfect, and we would go, Wow, great enough. wasn't enough. The shedding of blood was required for the remission of sins. So on the cross... Jesus was there. The word ransom has another part in the Greek that you could use, and it's called the word substitute. So when Jesus was here on the cross, all the sins of the world were placed upon him. Well, whose are all the sins of the world? I like to say it generically, all the sins of the world. And the problem comes that you have to say it was my sin that put him on the cross. Every sin you've ever committed nailed Jesus to the cross. Every sin you will commit nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. It's your sin. It's my sin. It's not your neighbor's sin. It's not your neighbor on this side's sin. It's my sin. My sin that did it. And when Jesus was nailed on the cross, remember what sin does. Sin always separates. So God looked down, and on the cross, we'll hear this as we go through the book of Mark, Jesus says, Father. Why are you abandoning me? Because God could not look. A holy God could not look upon sin. So this is the requirement. The ransom was not just the good life. It was the death on the cross. Because of that, you and I have been set free. Now back to the book of Mark, chapter 10. Let's look at Jesus, the servant. We've just looked at Jesus, the Savior. Verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. And he took the twelve aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. So let's get the picture. Jesus is walking. And he's headed, notice the verse says there, when you go up to Jerusalem, it's high. So they were walking up to Jerusalem. Now notice something very important there in verse 32. Jesus says, we are going up to Jerusalem. Now, the verse says that Jesus was leading the way. In the Greek, that means he was walking alone. He was out in front of the disciples. They were following him. You can imagine what was going through his mind as he's, He knows very well what his outcome is. He knows what God's plan for him is. It's not a surprise. He's well aware of it. The disciples are watching him walk alone, and it says there that they are astonished, some of them afraid. Why? Well, they're astonished that Jesus continues to walk toward his death. I mean... He tells them there what's going to happen. If if you knew that if you left today by the front way out here and got in your car and you drove, turned to the right and headed down here at the very next intersection, there'd be a tremendous crash and you'd be killed in the crash. Which way would you go home? I'd turn left. I might even walk home. I'm not going that way. But the Bible says in another passage in Matthew about this same area that Jesus set his face as a flint to Jerusalem. There was no right, there was no left. He was headed to the death. I believe that's why he was walking alone, because he was talking to the Father. God, I need your help, Dad. This is going to be tough. I know it's uh, out there, but I don't know how I'm going to handle it. I need your help. So the disciples were astonished, but they were also afraid. Remember the word we. If Jesus is heading to Jerusalem to be persecuted, guess what? The we includes them. So they're going, wow. Wow. We're we're part of this. Something's going to happen bad here. There's going to be some difficult times. And so the Bible says that they were very concerned. Even though Jesus wasn't going to be sidetracked, they were concerned. Now, Jesus takes his disciples apart, and he gives them a little private lesson. You've seen this happen before. And in this lesson is the third announcement of Jesus going to his death. But the very first time here, he mentions where it's going to happen. It's in Jerusalem. Notice in those verses there what he mentions. He mentions the role of the Gentiles, the role of the religious Jews, and one other very interesting role. He says, I'm going to be betrayed. To the 12 disciples, he's saying Somebody who loves me is going to betray me. I often wondered when this statement came what Jesus was thinking as he said it, and Judas was listening. Did Judas know at this point he was the one? Even though Jesus was going to be betrayed, he was still headed to Jerusalem. I want to give you three things to write this morning, a lot more than that, but three keys to our teaching today. And I encourage you to take notes because it will help you to remember. The first key is this. Selfish ambition hurts you. Selfish ambition hurts you. We will see this morning bold, selfish ambition by the disciples in the whole camp. And I want to reflect on that for all of us. Look at verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, or the, another, another passage says the sons of thunder, came to him. Teacher, they say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now that's a bold statement, isn't it? We want you to answer whatever we're going to ask you. Can you imagine your teenager coming to you and you agreeing to that?
0: As believers now, we know that we were once all enslaved by sin. The price Jesus paid as our ransom was his perfect life, sacrifice to save us from ourselves. As we saw today, money, gold, silver, none of those things could have paid the debt created by our sin. Once saved, we have the promise of eternal life with him. We're slaves to our God, and now we reap holiness, holiness and the fruits of the Spirit instead of death. Facebook and Twitter have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out our Facebook page and Twitter feed. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links. You can find information about everything that's happening at Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Again, to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our Twitter feed, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time on Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark will continue through the Gospel of Mark, Chapter 10 where he will touch on the destructive nature of our flesh in the form of selfish ambition. For believers, servants of God, that flesh nature may be subdued, but still has a tendency to rise to the surface and overtake our devotion to God. We will hear how this kind of selfishness hurts not only us, but others as well. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through the Gospel of Mark. That's next time on Lessons for Living.